I thought it'd be a really good idea since we are in the middle of Southern California's most brutal winter ever <laughs> to take a survey. And so uh, how many on a very hot day, not in the freezing temperatures that are out there today, on a very hot day would rather hang out by a pool or the ocean? That by a show of hands, how many would prefer the ocean? Okay. How many? A pool. You're going to heaven. Okay. <laughs> and so I would prefer a pool. Uh, you, you know, I, I love the ocean, but I grew up on the East Coast, and I took a lot of trips, like I said. You know, a lot of New Yorkers, you know, when they want to the, run, they go down to South Florida. The beach is a lot more clearer down there. Water is a lot more bluer. And, uh, but I grew up in East Harlem in, in New York City, and on hot summer New York days, I hung out by a pool, not just any pool, a pool called Jefferson Park Pool. It was as big as a New York City park. That picture was taken in 1936, okay? I mean, it's a massive pool. And, uh, and hundreds and hundreds of people would hang out there on a hot summer day. And uh, matter of fact, my first legitimate job was actually at that pool. I got a job working for the parks department, and I worked next to Hector Macho Camacho, the famous boxer. And we, we worked together for a whole summer, and I got to know him, and we shared plans about how he was going to be a great boxer, and I was going to be a great basketball player. I'd say his career was a whole lot better than mine. And, uh, but I, I, just, I just would spend a lot of summer days hanging out at Jefferson Park Pool. Uh, and as many of you heard from my story last week, even though I hung out at a, at a great place like that, uh, you know, I, I lived my life for the first 36 years never ever without ever any intention of making my life better or wanting to get well. And there is a story in the Bible, in the, in the fifth chapter of John, about a guy who hung out by a pool, not Jefferson Park pool, but a pool in the Bible. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite stories, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share the story with you, but give you some pretext. I mean, th this guy was a guy who really didn't want to get well, and he hung up by the pool for 38 years. And he could have gotten well. His life could have gotten better. Eventually, it did get better because of an encounter that he had with the one who can make it better, and that was Jesus Christ. Well, let's pick up the story in John, and it says this. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of water. Now, check this out. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, first one in, wins, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. If you were, if you were blind, you could see. If you were lame, you could walk. If you were deaf, you could hear. It didn't matter what the infirmity was. First one in, after an angel came down every single day and touched that water, you would be made well. Very different from the pool I hung out with. Because at a certain time of day, a devil child will go in and relieve himself, and the first one in contracted every disease that you can get. 
Let's pick up the story. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity. Check it out, 38 years. When Je- Don't miss this. When Jesus saw him lying there, he sees you. He knows. He sees this man. And not only does he see him, but it says this. And he knew that he already had been in that condition a long time. How did he know? Well, that's what makes him Jesus. That's what makes him God. He sees and he knows. Just like he sees all of you in the condition that you're in today. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him these words, Do you want to be made well? I used to think that was a really dumb question. But after years of working with all kinds of people, I've discovered it's really not a dumb question because some people know that they're sick, some people know that they've got issues, they know that they've got a problem, they know that their life could be better, they don't really want to get well. For a variety of reasons. Maybe it's image management. The mindset, the mindset is, I'm okay, I'm fine. Nobody needs to know that I struggle with this, but below the surface, they're drowning. Maybe it's pride, and the mindset is, I can't show anyone that I need help because that would be a sign of weakness. Maybe it's fear, and as strange as it seems, some people fear change more than they fear the damage, the habit, the brokenness, or the sin is doing to them. And as miserable as they are, they would rather wear that brokenness, that problem like a comfortable pair of old shoes than go through the challenge of breaking in a new pair and walking free. Maybe you like the attention if you got well, and if you got well, that attention would go away. And even though it's negative attention, at least it's still attention. And you can't do without the attention. It's not a dumb question. Do you want to get well? Well, if you do, I got some really good news for you here at Encounter. I believe that you have come to the right place. You've made a good decision because tonight, this is a night, this is a ministry about getting well. This is a ministry about having your life turned around. This is a ministry about having God do something miraculous in your life. It's the very real hope of being made whole, being fully alive with hope, joy, purpose surging through your veins, being free from everything that keeps you in bondage because he's a chain-breaking God. And that's what Encounter's all about. And with God's help, you will break all your chains, all your chains, not some of them. You will walk free. You'll be totally free. You know, I had a conversation uh, earlier in the week with my sister from New York. We know a lot of shady people in New York, like a lot of you heard from my testimony. So my sister was telling me she... uh, one of my brother-in-law's good friends, his name is Slip. And uh, Slip uh, has a name, Slip, because he's sort of been in and out of institutions, if you know what I mean. And, uh, but Slip is doing well these days, and, we're try- and my older sister was trying to get my younger sister a job with Slip, because everything that Slip touches turns to gold these days. Speaking of Slip, what slips you up? What gets you caught? What keeps you from walking free? What do you struggle with? Can we get personal here? Maybe it's anxiety, worry, panic, anger, bitterness, abuse, gambling, alcohol, drugs, pornography, sexual addiction, bigotry, cynicism, lying, grief, divorce, criticism, perfectionism, procrastination, codependency. Are you a control freak, workaholic? Do you overspend, overeat, undereat, struggle with anorexia, bulimia, relationship wounds that have left you with trust issues? Do you ever know something's wrong, but you just do it anyway? 
Do you ever say, I got to change my language, but you still spew out profanity? Do you often find it hard to go to sleep? Do you often find it hard to get out of bed? Do you struggle with depression? Do you battle with envy, contentment, maybe insecurity? Got a memory that haunts you? Got some unresolved guilt that paralyzes you? Do you struggle with body image? Do you ever know the right thing to do, but just don't do it? Do you live with someone who abuses you physically, sexually, emotionally, verbally, or feel the continued effects from past trauma and abuse? Are you feeling the emptiness of shame and guilt in addition to the lack of peace as a result of a relationship that doesn't honor God? Do you love someone struggling with destructive behaviors such as pornography, drugs, or alcohol? Do you struggle with codependent behaviors like enabling, people-pleasing, and finding yourself in relational conflict in all of most of your relationships? Are you in a relationship with an irrational control freak that is demanding, self-centered, maybe even narcissistic at best? Are you haunted by the undeniable feelings of regret from an abortion you had years ago? Do you sacrifice your identity, desires, or needs just to make others feel good about themselves or just to keep the peace? And last but not least, do you live with the overwhelming pileup of shame and regrets from the mistakes of your past? I just want to say to you, if you answered yes to any of those, welcome to the human race. We all need to get well in some way. At Encounter, it's a level playing field. At the cross, the foot of the cross, it's an even playing field. Encounter is for everyone, unless you've lived a flawless life. Friends, life is tough. We live in an imperfect world where we've been hurt by other people. Others have hurt us. We've hurt others. You've got the scars to prove it. We've all made mistakes. And the truth is we all need recovery. We all need repentance. We all need a solid spiritual growth program, a discipleship program. We all need a safe community to help us overcome the hurts in our lives that led to our brokenness and our sin patterns. And while it's true that many of us have found hope, many of us are walking free these days, trusting the grace and strength of God for every step, and he is transforming us from the inside out. What you need to know in this place, this is a community of fellow strugglers. No perfect people are allowed. Honey, you're going to have to leave. (laughs) We're all in this together. You're not alone. I love what God has to say about this in Isaiah 57. See if this passage is familiar to you. I have seen what they do, but I'm going to heal them anyway. I've seen what you do. I've I've known that you've been in this condition for a long time. I'm going to heal you anyway. I will lead them. I will comfort those who mourn, bringing words of praise to their lips. That's why we get excited for worship. May they have abundant peace both near and far, says the Lord, who heals them. Who heals them? Bill Reeser can't heal you. I can't do diddly squat. But God can heal you. Did you see what God says? I know all about what you've done. I know all about what you're doing. I want to heal you. I want to set you free. If you're feeling lost, I want to lead you. If you're feeling overwhelmed tonight, God says, I want to comfort you. I want to wrap my arms around you. I want you to experience my love. I have seen what they do. If you're worried, anxious, stressed out, confused, 
and scared. I want to give you my peace, God says. If you feel like you're drowning, I want to rescue you. But I got to go back to the critical question. Do you want to get well? It's a huge question. You see, here's why it's a huge question. If you don't want to get well, you're playing God. And friends, you stink at playing God. If you don't want to get well, you're playing God, and you stink at playing God. See, I've learned that denial is not a river in Egypt. It's when we say, who, me? I don't have a problem. I'm fine. I got no problems. It's not an addiction. I, I could stop any time. I can handle it. I'm not like those people. I got my life under control. Ask the people who love you the most if you got your life under control. Ask them if they think it's a problem. I love the, I love the old story about a kid walking into a country store and looking for a box of Tide. And then the, the store owner says, hey, son, what are you going to do with that box of Tide? He says, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wash my cat. And, and the guy says, don't you think that Tide's too strong? He says, nah. Kid walks away. About a week later, the kid comes down. He's got his head down a little bit. And he says, well, how'd that Tide work out? He goes, not too good. He goes, well, what happened? He goes, oh, my cat died. He goes, my cat died. He says, was it the Tide? Was it too strong? He says, no, it was the spin cycle that got him. I love cats. So let me ask you, what has got you in the spin cycle of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. You know, what I found is that most people are in that type of spin, spin cycle. They work in their own set of steps. You know, we have steps that we follow, 12 steps, and they're biblical because they came from the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus uh, preached. I'm not sure if you know that, but that's where the 12 steps came from. But what I found is that most people who aren't working a program like Encounter are working their own set of steps. They're not the steps to freedom that we know. These are the steps to total and complete insanity. See if any of these sound familiar because every single person in this room has worked at least one or all of these steps at some point in your life. And here they are, step one. We admitted we were powerless over nothing. We could manage our lives perfectly and we could manage those of anyone else that would allow it. <laughs> step two, came to believe that there was no greater power than ourselves and the rest of the world was insane. <laughs> step three, made a decision to have our loved ones and friends turn their wills and their lives over to our care. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of everyone we knew. Five, admitted to the whole world at large the exact nature of their wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to make others straighten up and do right. Seven, demanded others to either ship up or ship out. Eight, made a list of anyone who have ever harmed us and became willing to go to any lengths to get even with them all. Nine, got direct revenge on such people whenever possible, except when to do so would cost us our own lives or at the very least a jail sentence. Number 10, continued to take inventory of others and when they were wrong, promptly and repeatedly told them about it. 11, sought through nagging to improve our relations with others as we could understand them at all asking that they only knuckle under and do things our way, and 12, having had a complete physical, emotional, and spiritual breakdown as a result of these steps, we tried to blame it on others and get sympathy and pity in all of our affairs. Yeah. It's my inventory. That's where I got it from. Where'd you get that? Okay. Where'd you get that? It's my inventory. It's also playing God when you want to be the master of your own 
universe, running the life without the help of a loving God who loves you so much, trying to deal with your past on your own, trying to control other people, trying to manage your pain on your own. You know what I'm saying. I've been there. You've been there. You crash in a pile of guilt. You make futile promises to yourself. I'm never going to do this. You dig deep for the willpower, and you find yourself doing the same exact thing the very next day. It happens so often that it's predictable. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans 7, the moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. Any amens on that? I truly delight in God's commands. I want to do good. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. Friends, living like this just wears you out. Because it takes an enormous amount of energy covering your tracks and living in this spin cycle of try harder, fail, guilt, shame, hide, promise, then hate yourself, try harder, fail, guilt, shame. It's a crazy spin cycle. And if you're not busy covering your own tracks, denial will make you compare yourself to others so that you don't have to work on you. We call this the cop-out of comparing. Here's what it looks like. You convince yourself. In other words, you rationalize. You tell yourself rational lies because the biggest liar in your life is you to yourself because you tell yourself you're fine all the time when you're not. You convince yourself that by comparing your problems to other people's problems that you don't have a serious problem. When in fact, you've not been able to manage the pain and hurts in your life for a very long time. You focus on other people all the time. Maybe sometimes the word recovery scares you to the point where your denial kicks in and you overlook who, who and what recovery is for. And you convince yourself that encounters for those people. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be one of those people. And it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. And let me ask you, because I love you, how bad does that pain have to get in your life before you step out of denial and actually say, I want to get well. I want my life to be better. And if you have everything under control, can you ex at least explain why you keep running, wearing yourself out with your busyness? Because you know that if you slow you, yourself down long enough, those painful memories come back. They haunt you. It's also called playing God when you want to be the master of your own universe, running your life without the help of God who loves and cares for you, trying to deal with your past on your own, trying to control other people, trying to manage your pain. It takes enormous amounts of energy that will sap the life out of you. This is how I lived my life. For the first 36 years. And I'll never forget when I first read King David's inventory of how he got better in Psalm 32. Look what he said. He said, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, 
I'll confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me, and all my guilt is gone. All my guilt is gone. Friends, if you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. Self-deception, along with self-reliance, always leads to self-destruction. Self-deception, along with self-reliance, always leads to self-destruction. No matter how good we are at lying to ourselves or how determined we are to avoid the truth. This is what I love about encounter. (coughs) The more you tell someone else at encounter how you've blown it in life, the more they accept you, the more they love you, the more they look up to you, the more honest you get with them and tell you about all the things that happened to you and all the things that you've done in your life. I know what some of you are thinking. Well, you have no idea what I've done. Well, your sin's not that special. And God's not shocked at what you've done. And because this is sort of like a me too kind of place, we talked about this a few weeks ago, nobody here is going to be shocked. Here's the important thing to remember about that. It doesn't matter how bad you are. It really doesn't. It doesn't matter how good you are either. The only thing that matters around here is how forgiven you are. Because the Bible says those that have been forgiven much, they love much. The more forgiven you know you are, the more capacity you're going to have to love. The only people that love at a high capacity are those that know how much they've been forgiven. You understand the love that God has for you. You'll understand how to love him back. You'll understand how to love yourself and others in much more healthier ways. And that's what encounter is all about. See, unfortunately, it's human nature that most times we won't change until the pain becomes greater than the fear of change. We don't change when we see the light. We change when we feel the heat. One man said, it happened to me when the acid of my pain finally ate through the wall of my denial. Friends, listen to me. Save yourself some pain. See the light today. Walk in the light today. I don't know who came up with this theory. But it's just not true. You don't have to hit rock bottom before things start getting better. Things could start getting better now. That's what Christ died for. You can make the decision to get well before the bottom drops out. You don't have to hit rock bottom. And the first step to walking free is to admit that you are powerless over your brokenness and your sin patterns, and that in your own power, your life is unmanageable. That's a banner day when you can say that. You have to say enough. No more pretending. This is insane. I've got a problem. It's out of control. I need help. I can't do this on my own. I want to get well. Reflecting on the hardships and suffering to the point where he thought he was going to die, The Apostle Paul said this, we felt we were doomed to die and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. But that was good. Well, how was that good? For then we put everything into the hands of God who alone, alone could save us. Who alone could save you. Friends, I got some good news. I got some really good news. There's a way out. There's a miraculous way out 
Because there's power in powerlessness. When we humble ourselves and admit our weakness, God's strength has permission to begin to flow through us and help us break through the surface and live. He alone has the power to help us walk free. He alone has the power to heal you, to heal your relationships, to heal your broken heart, to heal your bruised emotions, to heal you physically, emotionally, relationally. He has the power to heal your anger, your food addiction, your sexual addiction, your drug alcohol addiction, to heal you from the sexual trauma and abuse in your life, to heal you of all the hurts that have been inflicted on you and to forgive you of all the hurts you've inflicted on others. He alone has the power to set you free. We're not talking about some little G here. We're talking about the God, the God of the universe, the God of the cosmos, the God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for you, the same son who defeated sin. He defeated the cross. He defeated Satan. He defeated the grave. And what he started, he's coming back to finish because the good work that he began in you, he's going to complete until the day of Christ Jesus. Friends, that's what I call power. You can't get that power anywhere else. And there's only one thing in the universe stronger and greater than that power. You know what that is? It's God's power to love you and pull you out. It's God's power to comfort you and heal you and let you know that nobody, I mean nobody, can love you like Jesus Christ. There's no greater power than that. But I, friends, I got to tell you, the surrender of our will to the supernatural will and power of God is the pathway to getting well. But as long as we're going to live in denial of a problem, as long as we're going to try and work the image management thing, pretending that everything's fine, as long as we're going to hang on to our pride and try and fix things by ourselves, as long as we're going to try and excuse and rationalize our behavior, as long as we're content to live in the spin cycle of fail, guilt, shame, hate yourself, hide, promise, try harder, as long as we're, we don't really want to get well, we're going to lack the power to change. The power lies in the admission of powerlessness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the busted, the broken, those that can look in their pockets spiritually and say, I'm spiritually busted. I got nothing but you, God. I need you in my life. Rick Warren defined brokenness as a willingness to abandon our pride, our pretensions, our self-righteous posturing. It is the pre requisite to God's blessing in our lives, which is why blessed are the poor in spirit was the first thing to come out of the mouth of Jesus in his famous sermon on the mount. Blessed are the broken, the busted. How fortunate are those who will, who will acknowledge their spiritual bankruptcy, humble themselves, and hunger for God. They're going to be comforted. Their lives are going to be turned around. So friends, i got to ask you again, do you want to get well? Let's get back and pick up the story. Because this guy really didn't have any intention of getting well. In John 5, 7, here's his response to Jesus asking him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to drive me to the sanctuary church on a Friday night. 
I will never, I don't know where, see, I don't know where, you know, Friendly Valley Parkway is. People aren't friendly there. That's not what he said. <laughs> Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Think about it. People brought him there every day for 38 years. They probably put him right on the edge. And I love the response of Jesus. I love this. Because when you're trying to negotiate with God, these are, typical, these are the typical answers that you'll get. Instead of just stooping down to his level, he says, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, I feel so sorry for you. How could people do that? People are so mean. Why would they do that? No, Jesus didn't give in to his codependent, codependency. Here's what Jesus said. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Jesus didn't have anything to do with his denial. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And I love this. At once, the man was cured. But he, he, he didn't do a step study. At once, the man, uh, he, he didn't come to, at once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Friends, you want to get well? You want your life to get better? Allow Jesus Christ to touch you and heal you. Have an encounter with him. He's a healer. But let me give you a formula. You're going to see this scripture a lot at Encounter throughout the year. And this is important. And again, if you're new, we got Bibles in the seats. You may want to look this up. It's in the book of James, uh, chapter 4. And I love this passage. It says this. Now again, if you, uh, another great way of studying the Bible is look for a statement. Look for, after the statement, something that we should do. And then after we do that, look for, the, look for what God will do if we actually do it. It's a great way to study the Bible. Look for a statement, an action item, and then what God will do. In other words, how God will bless you. Here's the statement. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I love that statement. It's a big statement. You see, now the key word in there is oppose. Have you, have you ever thought about that when you're prideful? That God just, that God actually opposes you? So I'm trained up in a lot of different things. Uh, I know a lot of warfare scriptures, and, and trust me, I've been under a lot of spiritual attacks in my life. I know all the scriptures to pray and how to pray them. I know how to get people to pray for me. I know specific passages to pray all the time and you know, passages like Isaiah 54, 7, no weapon formed against me will prosper. When the enemy comes at me like a flood, God will raise a standard against me. I know how to pray Psalm 91, 16 great promises of protection. I know how to pray all those scriptures when the enemy comes at me. But when I'm prideful and God comes at me because he opposes me, I don't have a scripture for that. I don't have a hey God. Remember what you, what you said? here and here, the only thing I've got is to humble myself. The only thing I've got to do at that point is to just get on my knees and say, God, I'm nothing before you. So God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And when you humble yourself like that, he gives you his grace. So here's the, here's the action item. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. See, a lot of you are trying to resist the devil, but you're forgetting the whole humble and submit part. 
And if you try and resist without the humbling and submitting part, the devil will have a heyday in your life. And it says, come near to God. If you do that, here's what God's going to do. He's going to run to you. You know, I'm still learning today that I, I can't outrun God. The more I run away from him, the more he chases me down with his love, and the more I run to him, he runs that much more faster to me with his love and blessings. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll lift you up. God will lift you out, he'll lift you up, and he'll set you free. But, you, but you've got you've to understand that he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Beth Moore, in her poem titled Pride, says it best. She said, my name is Pride. I'm a cheater. I cheat you of your God-given destiny because you demand your own way. I cheat you of contentment because you deserve better than this. I cheat you of knowledge because you already know it all. I cheat you of healing because you're too full of you to forgive. I cheat you of holiness because you refuse to admit when you are wrong. I cheat you of vision because you'd rather look in the mirror than out a window. I cheat you of genuine friendship because nobody's going to know the real you. I cheat you of love because real romance demands sacrifice. I cheat you of greatness in heaven because you refuse to wash another's feet on earth. I cheat you of God's glory because I convince you to seek your own. My name is Pride. I'm a cheater. You like me because you think I'm always looking out for you. Untrue. I'm looking to make a fool of you. God has so much for you, I admit, but don't worry. If you stick with me, you'll never know. Friends, the cure for our problems comes in a really strange form. It comes through admitting weakness through a humble heart. The Bible says that in admit, admitting my weakness, I actually find strength. Did you know that? 2 Corinthians 12, you've seen this before. Each time, he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in what? Weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And this is not a popular idea in our self-sufficient American culture that says raise yourself up by your own bootstraps, be the strong silent type, do the Lone Ranger thing. But even the Lone Ranger had a tunnel. Even Batman had Robin. Even the Joker had a penguin. I'm just, I'm just. The Bible also says that the first key to being blessed is knowing that we're spiritually poor. That's the way you get this. That's the way you get your life on track. Admit that you're powerless to do this on your own, that you're spiritually poor, that you need other people, and that you need God. Making the first choice to healing at encounter is acknowledging that you are not God because you stink at playing God. Doing so means admitting and recognizing three important facts of your life. Fact number one, I admit I am powerless to change my past. It hurt. I still remember the pain, but all the resentment and the shame in the world isn't going to change what happened. Two, I admit that I'm powerless to control other people. People, I try and control others. I actually like it. I like manipulating them. I want them to love me. I want them to do what I say. I use all kinds of little gimmicks to work, 
but I'm responsible for my actions, not theirs. I cannot control other people. And number three, I admit that I'm powerless to cope with my harmful habits, behaviors, actions, and pain. Friends, good intentions don't cut it. Willpower is not enough. I need something more. You need something more. You need a power greater than yourself. I need God because he made us. He made me to need him. Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. Matthew 19, 26. But Jesus also said, apart from me, you can do nothing. The same Jesus who reached out and touched this man is going to touch you at encounter. The same Jesus who died on the cross for the sins of the world and rose again from the dead is alive and he's still changing lives here each and every week at encounter. He's ready to change your life. But I got to ask you, do you want to get well? Because when you don't want to get well, you play God and you stink at playing God. So there I did. I did it. I went through a whole talk without mentioning any of our steps or principles. And you're thinking, I thought this was like a 12-step program. I thought this was like, you know, I thought you had like eight principles. Well, you may want to, let me give you them in sort of God's summary real quick as we wrap this thing up. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And here they are. You may want to write this down. These are principles that will change your life. You ready? Principle one, believe God. You know, there's a difference between believing God and believing in God. Principle two, trust God. When you believe in God, you'll trust God for everything. You're either trusting God or you're trusting in yourself. If you're trusting in yourself, you're playing God, and you're not letting God be God so that he can be ruler and Lord over yourself and your circumstances. Believe God. Trust God. Surrender your life to God. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 12, to those who believed and received him, Jesus Christ, he gave them the right to become children of God. You're not a child of God until you receive Jesus Christ into your life. Believe God. Trust God. Surrender to God. Four, obey God. Because of what Jesus has done for you, out of gratitude, you should live by his standard. Obey God. When you obey God like that, you pray to God. You develop a prayer life. You pray each and every day. You go to the throne before you go to the phone. You go to him first. You seek his face before you go to Facebook. You pray to God. Then you wait on God. And then you encounter the presence and power of God. And if you do all those things, you leave the results to God. And when you leave the results to God, God takes 100% responsibility for all of your circumstances and your life because he's a healer. He's a healer. God, I just thank you so much for being a healer. You see us. You know of our condition. And you want to heal us anyway. No one in this room is beyond your reach. Nothing is too difficult for you. You are a mighty God. Lord, all of us say tonight, I want to get well. We want to be in your presence. And now we want to worship you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said?